Time for seafood news. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast, brought to you by Maine Lobster. Maine Lobster season is here, and although the traditional butter and lemon pairings are delicious, there are many ways to enjoy lobster. Grill it as a main course to accompany refreshing sides, to top your favorite salad with fresh lobster meat, or to add your go-to mac and cheese recipe to take the classic to the next level. For more recipe inspiration, visit lobsterformaine.com. I'm Ernerberry News Assistant Ryan Doyle. And I'm Ernerberry Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. Thanks for joining us. In our top story of the day, Bloomberg reported that Bumblebee Seafood is considering a bankruptcy filing as one way to ease its financial burden, which stems in part from a 2017 guilty plea to a federal price-fixing charge. Sources who asked not to be identified noted that the prospect of a court-supervised restructuring under Chapter 11 is among several options being evaluated. A representative for San Diego-based Bumblebee declined to comment on the company's plans, and Bumblebee's owner, the London-based private equity firm Lion Capital, didn't respond to a request for comment as well. At the time of sentences in 2017, the Department of Justice agreed to cut Bumblebee's penalty from $81.5 million to $25 million. Even with the reduced fine, Bumblebee is now facing a liquidity crunch. Class action lawsuits related to the antitrust case increased its potential liability, which Ryan and I discussed in last week's episode, and the company is also facing claims of mislabeled products as dolphin safe. Tuna canners are under pressure to ensure that their fish are caught without netting and drowning nearby dolphins. And on top of that, reports of declining revenue in 2019's first quarter sent Bumblebee's leverage ratio over the maximum allowed under the terms of its senior debt, a $650 million term loan due in 2023, according to one of the reporter's sources. Bumblebee hired turnaround firm Alex Partners, according to a Dow Jones report on July 22nd. The company was reported to be in talks with lenders after defaulting on its loan. The lenders have agreed to a forbearance period as restructuring talks continue. Interesting. So in other news, there is considerable disagreement among the shrimp farming and processing community on exactly what is happening with Indian shrimp production for the second half of fiscal 2019. In the shrimp business, the forced harvesting of small shrimp to offset disease impacts often can depress the price of smaller sizes because of oversupply. The head of the Indian Prawn Farmers Association expected volume could be down by 20 to 30 percent this year due to disease. Others suggest financial issues with farmers is the cause for the low numbers, and another faction believes that the output will be stable or even increase by year's end. The points of agreement are that farmers reduced stocking 20 to 40% during February through March period compared to last year, based largely on the commodity cycle, which depressed prices following record production in 2018. Although there are many opinions on what is happening with Indian shrimp, the extent of disease problems are likely to determine the total production. White feces disease means that farmers produce more small shrimp than they want to, and although it doesn't kill the shrimp, it kills the farmers economically. The disease seems more prevalent among farmers with less access to good water. It is entirely possible that prices for large shrimp will continue to be strong, but production problems will hamper the ability of Indian farmers to grow enough large shrimp for the sector to recover its profitability. Given the risk profile, some farmers are likely to continue to hold back. This would lead to the larger-than-forecast reduction in Indian shrimp output for the second half of 2019. Now let's take a look into the snow crab market. 
Consumers may have noticed more snow crab ads at their local grocery stores this summer. As retailers begin to accept the new norm for snow crab prices, they have begun to feature it more. Retail features are up 134% from June through August when compared to a year ago. Retailers have begun to see value in snow crab as items that typically compete with it, like king crab and lobster tails, are at a record or near record high. Another source of snow crab for retailers is also on the horizon as they await the 2019-2020 Alaska snow crab season quota. Last season's quota was a 45% increase from the season prior. If that trend continues, expect even more retail features. Sweet. <laughs> and Lauren, can you give us an update on the scallop market? Of course I can. So we are four months into the 2019 Atlantic sea scallop season and prices have already began to firm. Seasonally, the market tends to strengthen closer to the end of the summer season, but this year prices on U10 size scallops as well as higher quality all natural scallops are already seeing an increase in price. As of August 1st, all natural U10 size scallops average about $13.75 a pound. A few contributing factors to the upwards pressure are strong auction prices, the above average hot summer weather causing unfavorable conditions to high quality scallops, in addition to the lack of imports, most notably from China, Argentina, and Japan. Thanks, Lauren. And you know you're not going to get any uh, better analysis from nowhere else than Erner Berry's market reporters. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the latest catch numbers out of Alaska show just over 105.5 million salmon have been landed as of August 4th. The Alaska Department of Fish and Games forecasted 213.4 million salmon will likely not be reached this year, but it was a banner year for sockeye and a very good year for Chinook, a species that has shown disappointing returns in recent years. A total of 211,000 Chinook have been landed to date, compared to a preseason forecast of 250,000 fish. For pink salmon, numbers are well below expectations at 41 million, uh, which is about a third of the 137.8 million forecast. Yeah, Yikes. Big drop off. The harvest pace on all species, according to Garrett Everidge of the McDowell Group, is about 10% ahead of 2018. Overall production of less than a million fish per week is expected through the end of this season, Everidge noted. And finally, Seafood News Managing Editor Amanda Buckle and I spoke to Craig Morris, CEO of the Association of Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers, about their third round of partnership funding. Let's, Let's take, take a, a listen. listen. <laughs> Hi, Craig. Thanks so much for joining us on the Seafood News Podcast. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I'm really excited to be with you. So, Craig, the Association of Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers recently announced that they're looking for proposals for the third round of funding under the North American Partnership Program. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of proposals you guys are seeking? You bet. There's really three categories of proposals. First would be new products. We're always looking for new ways that Wallace Pollock can find its way before consumers. In the first two rounds, for example, we funded the Trident Protein Noodles launch, and we're working with Highliner Foods on the Alaska Wild Wing. The second category is looking to put Wild Alaska Pollock into new channels. And that's things like working with fish people to put meal kits into Whole Foods. And, and obviously the meal kit segment is, is really important. But new channels would also be the white tablecloth community. And so we're funding work with American Seafoods, for example, to do uh, chef competitions in major markets trying to get the white tablecloth chefs to consider Wild Alaska Pollock for their plating options. And then finally, we're always looking to align with influencers that we think have resonance with the demographics that, frankly, we're the most uh, uh, interested in. And good examples of that that we partnered with in the first two rounds would be uh, Gordon's relationship with Antonio Parasi. Antonio has just phenomenal credibility with the Gen Z and millennial uh, populations, which are very important to the food industry. And then also the work that we're doing with True 
actually, so, I mean, over at Seafood News, we've been following everything that Gap's been doing, working with all these companies. And I mean, we're huge fans of the, of the Trident Pollock noodles. Yes, we <laughs> they, are. They actually sent us some of the, uh, the noodles over to the office and we did a whole cooking segment and we had the entire office try it. And it's so unique. So to, to see them, you know, getting more exposure and, and getting in the, um, you know, in, in wholesale stores is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, the whole thing with, with Martha Stewart too, and true North, I mean, I, I don't know about Lauren, but anything Martha Stewart has her name on, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm interested. Exactly. <laughs> so it's the yeah, thing she I touches was, turns to gold. Yeah. I was at the Boston seafood show and, and her executive chef prepared a couple of wild lots of Pollock items, uh, one, a, a seafood taco that was just amazing. And the other, a wild lots of Pollock was part of a larger seafood medley that went into a chipino that was just absolutely outstanding. And as you said, it, their ability to put things together that they're just greater than the sum of their parts when the, when the final dishes are, are out there. Yeah, that's cool. Now, you know, you told us, I, that was actually my next question, though, is to, to tell us about some of these proposals. But since you already did that, I, I guess one of the things that interested me is that, uh, you know, Gap is looking to showcase Wild Alaska Pollock, Serini, or Roe. So uh, why, why those two? We want every component of the fish to really benefit from what we see is, is the, the wonderful story around Wildlife Pollock. And so Serena and Roe are, are two other very important components. And so we wanted to make sure that people do when we had these partnership funds available. Uh, they were open to, to the Serena and the, the Roe communities as well. Obviously, the protein noodles are a Serena-based product, but we wanted to make sure that for all the people out there that are working with, with Serena that they knew that these funds were available. Obviously, the filet is still a priority, and we're expecting to receive a number of applications in that category. But we just wanted to make sure that people that were working with both the row and Serena knew uh, that these funds are available to them, too. Okay. Um, so we know that the second round of funding back in April attracted a record number of applicants. What are we expecting this go-around? I'm getting a lot of calls. So, uh, you know, I hate to, to guess. I think we had 17 applications in round two. We funded 12 of those. Uh, I'm expecting a little north of that this time. So I'm really excited at what we're going to see. I've already had a couple of Serenity companies call. Uh, they obviously uh, read either uh, your outlet or others about uh, our interest in, in getting applications from that segment. So I think we're going to have really good demand. Wow, less less than a week, yeah, with the with the news being out about the funding and right, they have until October to submit applications. Is that right? That's right. So applications are due by October one, and then we have a committee structure, a, a row committee, a Serenity committee, and then obviously a fillet committee, and they're going to review those applications, uh, and then we'll we're committed to make a funding decision by December fifteenth. Okay, so so if any of our listeners are interested, you know, what what's the step, the first step they should take? Right on our website, we've got a template. Basically, how do you fill out an application? Uh, and then obviously call. I don't have a vote <laughs> in terms of, of who gets funded and who doesn't. I work to provide both the committees and the board with all the information that they need to make a decision. So I encourage anyone with interest in the program, call me, and I'll make sure that they uh, check all the boxes in terms of, of what's required, provide them with information on the projects that we funded to date, and then give them any tips that I think have, have really helped the uh, in terms of resonate with the board and, and what they've really viewed as projects that they wanted to fund. Sounds easy enough. Yeah. So before we let you go, uh, Gap is also hosting its first ever Wild Alaska Pollock industry-wide annual meeting this October. What can you tell us about that? I'm crazy excited about the celebration. I think there is so much momentum right now around Wild Alaska Pollock. And 
I'd like to think, at least in some small way, GAP has played a role in that. I'm really fortunate, we're really fortunate to have a board, a CO-level board, uh, that's very engaged, uh, very enthusiastic about this fish. Uh, they thought it was time for us to really bring the entire industry together and, and talk about the research that GAP, that GAP is doing, uh, the partnerships that we funded, uh, and really learn from basically every segment of the industry, what's out there working, what are some of the challenges we face, we face and how can we use our resources to overcome them. So I'm really excited about this event. You're going to see a lot more news coming out in the weeks ahead about some of the speakers that we've signed on. Uh, we've obviously got Ketchum coming in. Uh, they're going to give uh, a real deep dive into the research that they're doing, uh, both in online surveys with consumers as well as focus groups, as well as actually interviewing stakeholders, uh, downstream partners, both that are current customers and, and ones, frankly, that we want to get as customers. All the research that Ketchum's doing is going to go be uh, basically reviewed at the meeting. We've also got a, a new website launch that's coming up. Uh, so our partner that's developing that website is, is going to go ahead and kind of unveil that at the event so everybody can see all the resources that we're going to have there for the industry. Uh, and then we've got market updates and roundtable discussions that will be moderated with our, our partners in the, the um, partnership program. So there's going to be a lot of great speakers, and I'm excited to, to keep uh, you know, basically laying out the people as they get signed on. Well, that sounds like a can't-miss event. I, th- I think Laura and I are going to have to head on out. <laughs> but uh, thanks so I'm much for joining us. Glad to have you. <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks so much for joining us, Craig. And, and for those listening, you can find more information on GAP, the third round of funding under the North American Partnership Program, and the industry-wide annual meeting by visiting alaskapollock.org. Well, that about does it for us. Once again, this podcast was brought to you by Maine Lobster. For unique Maine Lobster recipes, visit lobsterformaine.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.